Okay, so I'm Nick Bircher, and this is the Nordic Future Makers podcast, a podcast about innovation and change. Today's Nordic Future Maker is Anna Thorsdottir. She is Head of Business Development and Partnerships for Europe at Tagger Media, which is one of the leading influencer platforms. In addition to this, she's also a board member at the Business of Influencers. So Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And before we go into anything, Thor's daughter, that, that's something to do with Thor, if I'm translating that <laughs> properly. Yes. Yeah, so um, I guess you could say I am a bit of a, a global citizen because I'm not actually Icelandic. I am actually from Bosnia, but Iceland is one of my three or four homes now. Um, and I lived there for four years. I have Icelandic citizenship and my stepfather was Icelandic um, and his name is Thor. So when I took on the citizenship, when I was living there, um, you actually have to take on an Icelandic name. So I had to change my name. Uh, I adopted an Icelandic middle name as well as a last name. And um, it's probably the most interesting thing about me. So I'm going to keep it forever. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we're we're happy to have you as the as an Icelandic ambassador on on the podcast, which is Thank great. Thank you. Very proud to represent Iceland. I hope I I hope I don't um, disappoint them. <laughs> okay, well, that that's a great great way of starting. But um, can can you tell us a bit more about about who you are and what you do and and all of that stuff, please? Yes, of course. So um, my background uh, was predominantly in public relations. So I used to do a bit of everything, really. I mean, I became a bit of a jack of all trades. And then that led me in my previous roles into exploring influencer marketing when it was just starting out. So I was kind of championing this um, within my agency when the agency or the clients were not actually dabbling in it or doing anything with influencers or talent. And so I was really advocating that a lot, pushing clients to do more of it and um, demonstrating the benefits of influencer marketing and then eventually um, educating uh, my colleagues as well. Um, I eventually got headhunted for a big media agency and I essentially started working there, worked there for about two years on really big projects, small projects, um, budgets up to $5 million on massive brands like Coca-Cola, Bose, Visit the USA, Mars, Suntory, um, you know, you can imagine a ton of brands here in London. So that really opened up um, a lot of really fantastic networking opportunities. So I just kind of um, really went went with that and, and decided that I was going to fully embrace it and this um, crazy new world of influencer marketing that is just taking off massively in, in the space and um, in, in the digital space. And um, right now I'm working for Tagger Media, which is a software as a service. So we offer a premium software to brands and agencies all, all over the world, really, as, as it's an international software to enable them to run their influencer marketing campaigns. So it's very data driven, um, you know, objective, um, strategic planning for your influencer campaigns to essentially set yourself up for success. So there's a lot more rigor and proof points behind this, this way of marketing now. Uh, whereas, you know, about five years ago, it was one of those new things that everybody was apprehensive about. So uh, I'm part of this crazy influence marketing world. And, you know, it gets more and more interesting by the day. And then I guess it's, 
it's that whole, it's Instagram, it's all of these kind of different platforms that came along that really kind of let this start scaling and people to really start finding an audience. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, influencer marketing's shift into a credible media and marketing channel is what really made that massive change is it's the it's the data-driven approach that has enabled that so it's not good enough to go into a room and present a slide with you know the talent's picture on it and say oh they were on tv they look nice they seem like the right fit for the brand no that's not enough anymore you know you need to say why are they the right fit how are their posts performing you know what was what was the latest campaign that they've done and how did they perform in that campaign so as much as I don't really like to call, you know, social talent uh, a performance space, it, it is based heavily on performance metrics now. And I think that's really great because that's the way it should be. So you can't really lose that human touch and, and um, their personality and creativity and those relationships that a lot of brands have that are invaluable with talent. But like I said, it's really great to have tech like Tagger where you can add that third-party tech and rigor to making those decisions so that you can make your budget work really hard and make sure that you're measuring everything um, correctly and and spending where you should be rather than just, you know, willy-nilly spending here and there because someone looks nice. So so it's scale and data that's kind of really driving things forward. A hundred percent. I really believe that. And anyone who says that influencer marketing is not measurable is clearly, you know, either not interested in the space or not educating themselves enough about it. And I'll be completely honest, education is our biggest issue and it still is. Um, that has been a very slow burner on, on that side of things. Um, there is still a huge lack of education in, in the industry on, on influencer marketing, especially when it comes to digital content creators specifically. So how should brands be kind of approaching this if, if they want to do it properly now? So, I mean, there's there's obviously several things to think about. And um, one of them is that they should definitely be speaking to a specialist about this. One of the key things to remember, and I always talk about this, is choosing the right influencer is the most important part of the process. If you choose the wrong person, the wrong partner for that campaign or relationship or partnership, then you're essentially setting yourself up to fail. So, the identification of the right partner is the key component that actually takes the longest time before you actually go into the campaign workflow and production. So in order to be able to select the right individual, you need to do your research, your due diligence and the data analysis behind that individual. If you think about it in this way, so the the, the age-old kind of marketing um strategy of of running an ad is you know you'd go to your ad agency and you would probably approve the director and their style the the creatives that will actually do the ad for you you will you will need to select them based on certain parameters and success factors maybe from their past to make sure that they are going to provide your brand with the success after that creative is finished now the funny thing is is that Digital content creators are a fraction of a price of a creative agency or or a director who's worked on, you know, big Hollywood films and is maybe directing an ad. So often people will um, get clouded by this kind of scary world of influencer marketing and think, God, I don't even know where to start. This is so complicated. How do I even get someone I'm following involved or someone that I want to work with? Well, just think about it simply as a partner or a media owner. So you're infiltrating their audience and you're collaborating with them in order to create that partnership. 
Now that takes me to the second point of, you know, the best practice of influencer marketing, which is that collaboration is really key. Those individuals have built their online presence based on, you know, knowing their audience better than anyone out there. Those individuals who are following them are there by choice. So they're choosing to view that content every single day. Now that is priceless. That kind of um, attention is not what you are going to get with programmatic or just your regular Facebook ad. So you're essentially paying a fraction of the price for really high quality production and infiltration of a target audience that is highly, highly engaged, will be more engaged than any other ad they see. Um, Yet people still complain about the cost of influencers, which is just crazy to me, because if you deconstruct it that way, it's actually you've hit a jackpot kind of three times when you're when you're looking at a creative that way. Um, so I would say, yeah, the two key components of working with, with influencers is selecting the, the correct individuals, looking at the data and the performance metrics, as well as do they fit with your brand ethos and what you're trying to achieve? Um, will they perform well in terms of those performance metrics for the target audience? And making sure that you are collaborating. So not dictating, but enabling the content. It's, it's not just about finding the person with the most numbers, but it's finding the people who are most credible and the people who are most likely to connect with the audience. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, you can look at how they're interacting with their audience. Are they involving the audience in their in their content? But just going back to that data that I was talking about, remove all the all the fun and nice stuff. You still need to look at the data and say, OK, has this influencer got any fake followers I need to check that very quickly on on software like Tagger. You can check that. You can check the benchmarking of the content performance against similar accounts uh, or against their peers and see, you know, are they performing well in terms of this type of post? If I specifically want a video on Instagram, I can even check, you know, are their videos doing as well as their images? Or maybe they're not the right partner to film a video for me. Maybe it's just an image that I want them to create. So there's all those things that, that you can check in, in regards to data once you have decided that they're the right brand fit and content fit for you. And you mentioned different types of content then. So there was, you just mentioned image and you mentioned video. Do you have to approach um, different platforms in different ways and the people who are on them in different ways as well? Yes, definitely. So this falls under my point of, you know, there's one, there is no one size fits all. I don't think it's right to say, let's guarantee a certain number of impressions or reach for this influencer, you know, as a whole. I think what you need to do is look at each individual as uh, an individual media owner or publisher. So how is their Instagram photo or their YouTube video performing on their channel? And in terms of industry benchmarks, is this good enough? Is this good in accordance with their follower number and their engagement levels as well? So, you know, for me to say, I want at least 200,000 views on a YouTube video, but then to hire someone who gets an average of 50,000, well, that's just not fair because it doesn't make any sense. So I think that's often a mistake I I see in this space is that um, people throw these numbers around because they want to measure it, you know, very much performance-based first, but you need to apply the performance-based metrics and KPIs on that individual's account performance. And that will depend on the exact social media channel as well as the type of post. So some people might have very high performance on their Instagram videos, but their Instagram stories might not do as well, or their Instagram carousels might not do as well, or the other way around. So 
no one, no creator should be judged or compared to another creator because your brief, they should only be compared to your brief, if that makes sense. Okay. Is it better to kind of work with one person across multiple platforms or is it better to focus on doing one platform well with a number of different people? I think it's all about testing and learning and what works for your brand and and your vertical. And that's what a lot of brands will do in the beginning. And I've, I've seen a lot of that last year. Brands were testing and learning with different suppliers, different social channels, different types of influencers. And ultimately what they should be then deciding is who they should work with long term. So they can look at the performance of the individuals they've worked with across those six months to a year and then decide, okay, these are the top three performers for our brand um, in terms of engagement views, all of that stuff, maybe click through sales, whatever you're measuring. And then extend them the contract of you know twelve months with that influencer, and then work with them um, even more collaboratively on how to really integrate the brand into their life, and perhaps hire them on an exclusive basis because that's really where you're going to get that full authenticity and you know dedication from that influencer, which their audience sees immediately, and the the buy-in from the audience is only going to grow because they'll be an advocate for your brand on a longer term basis. I'm not the biggest fan of those kind of one hit wonder posts, but I do think that they have a a time and a place for them. For example, if you have a new product, for example, a chocolate bar or, or a new drink, and you just really want loads of people to talk about it at one given time, perhaps it's a summer drink, summer flavor, you're launching it in July and you just want, you know, maybe a thousand influencers to mention that this drink has launched, then great, do that at scale ask them to just post one story, one Instagram, and that's it, kind of move on from there. But if you're looking for brand messaging and kind of a bit more of a meaningful collaboration, and if you have a product that it, that goes far beyond just showing it on a picture, perhaps it's an app and you need to explain it. And you, you know, if it's a financial app going even further, you need that influencer to embed it into their life and explain it over a course of three months and how they've actually used it. So there's a different um, strategy for for every brand, every campaign and every brief. And that's why I enjoy doing this so much is because, you know, you're doing something different all the time. And I think that's something on one of the previous podcasts, um, Henrik was very much talking about having this longer term approach and having real ambassadors for the brand rather than just having lots of one-off things where you pay, you get a post, you move on to the next campaign. Yeah, exactly. And I I would call that influencer advertising. You know, it's kind of on par with programmatic or just buying a space for an ad. But the real value with content creators and influencer marketing online and, you know, seeing that success digitally through those collaborations is that long term ambassador approach um, that everyone should be thinking about, in my opinion. You mentioned other media channels there. Um, how how does this best fit with other channels? Is it something where we can use the data for targeting in different places or is it you use the same creative or, or how do you kind of fit this kind of area into more of an integrated media plan? Well, we've seen an increase of influencer creative being used um, in out of home, which is really exciting. It would be interesting to see if anyone works with influencers now because they're the individuals who produce a lot of content at home. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see if there are any TV ads or, you know, more traditional looking ads being produced by creatives at home who have all this equipment and are really, really good at that. 
and are you know a, a lot cheaper than a full-on ad production outdoor somewhere so uh, i would say the most common crossover at the moment is has been out of home and then of course we're seeing influencers as ambassadors appearing in traditional ads you know as as people as personalities um, but shot in a more traditional way and then what they're being asked to do essentially is carry that over to their own channels so if you see somebody posing in a dress for um a nike ad uh, in an outdoor home space, you might see her then doing uh, a guide to her park run, or perhaps she does a story or um, an exercise regime post on her YouTube that's a little bit more natural and, you know, a bit more casual than than the polished ad that you're seeing in Out of Home. But the really great connection is that people are kind of seeing more of a connection online and whilst they're walking outside, etc. So there's going to be a lot of crossover, I think, in the future. It will be interesting to see how much, just because I think some people are still opposed to using influencers in that way. Um, I just hope that a lot of the traditional creatives out there will um, really embrace these collaborations because, you know, can you imagine how amazing a campaign could be if you if you put someone who's got 20 years of experience shooting an ad with a content creator who, you know, does something super creative and amazing that that is unique to them. And it's sort of an explosion of creativity, you know, so I'm really excited to see more collaborations like that when people open up a little bit more to working with content creators. I think there's an interesting thing going on at the moment where you've got the difference between normal people who have a following and then celebrity people who are being accused of being out of touch with with what's going on in the world at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because I read an article recently which I kind of agreed with and it said that celebrities, or it kind of asked the question, are celebrities becoming less relevant? And I thought it was just a, a brilliant question because if you would ask me that, I would say yes. I think that the world of celebrity is completely changed because of influencer marketing. I think some celebrities are quite out of touch and not very relatable. So that's the main difference there is that someone who is talking to you through their camera, you know, through the stories and actually replying to your message on Instagram is so much more relatable than a polished celebrity who has a whole glam team behind them. And every time they walk out of the house, they look perfect. Um, Everything they do is perfect. Everything is the way it should be in terms of how it's presented in a publicity sense. So they're becoming less relevant because they're less relatable. And what you're seeing is this, some celebrities are now becoming digital content creators. So they were traditionally a celebrity or maybe they gained fame through being on TV in a reality TV show, for example. But their actual place of business now is not, you know, doing more TV or appearing in talk shows or doing traditional uh, red carpet appearances. It's actually garnering the fame online and creating more relatable content that people want to follow with you know talking to their camera on the stories or replying to those messages on Instagram. So one of the biggest talent agencies in the world just announced this week that they have actually started a whole new talent division just for those individuals who have got famous by traditional ways but are now um, focusing on themselves as more of an internet social content creator type of personality. And look at Will Smith, you know, he's he's done exactly that. I mean, he's kind of the first one 
who started it. He started a YouTube channel and, you know, his wife started um, Red Table Talks on Facebook as like a little talk show. But again, they are making themselves more relatable. Uh, and so I think some of them are doing a really good job at that. And others who are just not letting the public into their private life very much are not very relatable. So people are, um, you know, naturally kind of pushing back on, you know, if, if the only thing you see is that celebrity swimming in their swimming pool whilst you're in lockdown and you're not actually seeing them talking to, to the camera in their stories saying that they're struggling with their mental health or perhaps they're trying to cook for the first time and they're not a very good cook. There's a total difference between showing this kind of perfect lifestyle to actually what's real. And is there much of a difference between B2C and B2B? Because I'm assuming you can use this effectively in, in both areas. Uh, you can use some of the principles. I would say that B2B is very different in a sense that B2B individuals are a little bit more difficult to discover. You can find them through software like Tagger, for example, if you're looking at keywords to do with sustainability, electric cars, you know, there are business individuals that are running their brands on social media, but then there might be some people who are not necessarily running an online brand, but they're very good at what they're doing in a, in a niche space. So for example, you know, an engineer who might not have an Instagram page, but perhaps he's well known in the industry and perhaps he's more LinkedIn. Now, we're still waiting for LinkedIn to add a bit more data to, to their back end and provide more statistics to be able to use LinkedIn. And I'm really excited about that, too. I'm sure it will happen very soon. Um, but I think you have to take a you know half and half kind of manual and data approach to finding these individuals. And then I would say that that one hit wonder um, strategy of posting or paying them to post something definitely does not apply to B2B. You need to go straight into a partnership because those individuals will be even more picky about who they work with and they will want to embed themselves in that project because they're essentially putting their name to it. So you're not just saying show something, you're saying put your name to it, talk about it, you know, endorse it in a way that is affecting your personal brand as well. So it's a bit different because it's, a lot less light touch and a lot less casual, if that makes sense. Um, I think there's a lot more at stake with people and their and their jobs. And you know, if, if they're a massive um, senior senior CEO or someone who's working at a company for 20 years, they will be very picky about who they're working with as a as an external partner in the B2B space. Um, but I think B2B is very interesting, and we should we should see more of that. I, I think we need to talk more about it and start to strategize more about that because there are questions coming up about B2B more often now. Right. So it's people in a job role using their reputation to then endorse something rather than in more of the B2C areas where for some people doing this is their career. Yes, exactly. Um, and I think the type of content you would produce with B2B influencers will also be very, very different. Um, it might be in the form of you know, workshops, presentations, appearances, blog posts, thought leadership kind of partnerships. Um, and like I said, they might not even have an Instagram or a YouTube page where they don't physically create visual content. Um, it might be, you know, a different type of content you'll be making with them. Perfect. Perfect. I think we've had a good talk. I think um, the thread that I, I've picked up from a lot of this are two things. So one is being data-driven and really kind of thinking about what the numbers can show and what's 
what we can learn before we just jump into all of this. And then the second thing, I think, is this idea of being relatable. So really thinking about the content that's being created and the brief that's being issued and, and what you're asking people to do. Yes, perfect. <laughs> I could talk about this for hours, but, you know, that's those are the two main points I think everyone should remember when, when they're going into this. Very good. Thank you, Anna. So um, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you, you talking to me and I, I really appreciate you waving the flag for Iceland as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Okay. So I think Anna is another example of a Nordic future maker, someone who's pushing things forward in the whole area of influencer marketing and content creators and things like that. So working across Europe, great talking to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And for everyone else, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you will subscribe to the podcast and I hope you'll listen again in the future.